Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. The cool thing is over time, as you incorporate these in your own life, and this is what you buy, that's just what's available. And guess what? A kid will eat when they're hungry, whether they think they like the food or not. They're going to eat it. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Today on The Less Stressed Life, I have Dr. Thomas Hemingway, who is a holistic and integrative medical doctor that lives and shares his philosophy of prevention over prescription. He's passionate about natural health and healing through simple yet powerful daily practices, which can be life-changing and life-saving. He's the host of the Unshakable Health podcast and his upcoming book, and actually it might be out, I'll ask him here in a moment, it may have already come out, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health, describes the foundational principles of creating lifelong solid health. He is also husband and proud father of six to wonderful humans with whom he enjoys spending time in the outdoors, surfing, snowboarding, skiing, hiking, biking, skateboarding, mountaineering, and playing tennis. Welcome, Dr. Hemingway. Oh my gosh, Krista. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm pumped. Yeah. yeah. So you're like Aloha surf doc. And I have to ask <laughs> if, were you always from Hawaii or is that part of the origin story? Because, you know, I want to know, I always want to know when people leave their traditional MD for something a little different, what the catalyst was and why that happened, right? It's usually because of some experience or just yeah. something, right? I love hearing people's stories about that. And I'm just really curious if Hawaii has always been home or if you've moved there because it's an interesting... So yeah, I mean, feels like always because I've spent over 30 years of my life there and that's more than half of my life. So it might as well be where I'm from and and whatnot. But actually as a kid, I grew up in the Monterey Bay in California Hmm. and I grew up surfing and it was really cold there. I had to put on a four mil wetsuit, booties, hood, gloves and all that. And so my grandparents used to live in Hawaii when I was a teenager. And so my goal was to go live with them once I was out of the house and I could, you know, be on my own. I would go live with them in Hawaii. And so that's what I did. I left uh, California after I graduated from high school, went actually to college in Hawaii. My grandparents were there at the time and didn't think I would end up staying there. But for the better part of the next 30 years, 
been in Hawaii. I left a few times. I did my medical training in California at both UC San Diego and UCLA. And so spent, uh, you know, eight years off the rock, but then uh, went back uh, to Hawaii to practice, been there for 20 years afterwards. So mm-hmm. well, and <laughs> might actually, as well be home, but yeah, I didn't grow up there as a kid. There's a volcano erupting right now too, isn't there? How's oh my that gosh. Go? How's it's the Vogue for you? How are you guys managing? I actually have a client um, from there and she was uh, asking uh, for recommendations about Vogue. And I was like, well, I think air purifiers and we yeah. were talking about some other soothing support, but what do you guys do? If so, you, you know, it just depends. Yeah. It depends on the wind pattern because if we're having a normal, what we call yeah. a normal trade wind flow, we actually don't get much of the Vogue, but anytime we have the real light and variable wind pattern, that's just the sine qua non for like lots of fog coming in. We're the farthest island away from the volcano mm-hmm. right now. So we're the farthest to the north. The volcano is on the big island of Hawaii, which is the farthest mm-hmm. to the south. And what's really cool, if people get a chance to go out there, is that this is the first time this particular area has erupted in like 40 some odd years. So it's it's a newer spot. Kilauea is the area that's been super active for the last three decades, and it settled down a lot. I was just there, gosh, only a, maybe a month ago, and we went up to the Kilauea volcano and uh, the vent area where they have the volcano house, and they have a epic viewpoint. You can eat dinner and watch the lava and stuff like that. And it wasn't super active because it kind of had settled down. And then now the activities on Mauna Loa, which is the really high, you know, one of the two really high mountains, you know, almost 15,000 feet. And there's lava coming down the side and you can go right through the two big mountains. One is Mauna Kea. That's the one that has all the telescopes that's got snow on it. And then Mauna Loa is this one that's Mm -hmm. now erupting. And literally you go on this highway on the left-hand side of the road, you see snow on the right-hand side of the road, you see lava. Like it's pretty nuts. (laughs) Like if people get a chance, I mean, this is like once in a lifetime kind of stuff. And, you know, we love tourists on the islands because that's how, you know, that's the major economy for us, you know? So, so come out and visit, come check it out. The big Island of Hawaii is the one that's erupting right now. And it's pretty nuts right now. Cool. What (laughs) Island are you on? We live on Kauai. That's up to the North. Ah, Cool. Yeah. We don't, we are the oldest Island, also a volcanic Island, but of course we haven't seen any lava or anything like that for who knows a million years. I don't know, thousands at least, but uh, the big Island of Hawaii is the youngest of the Hawaiian islands. And of course it's still growing. Like literally the lava hits the ocean, cools off and the Island gets bigger every day. (laughs) Yeah. And we need (laughs) it, right? It's still growing. (laughs) Which Island had the lepers? Uh, that was uh, Molokai. Molokai. Yeah. So that's a total, and that's a super cool thing to do if you mm-hmm. get a chance. Kalapapa is where the colony was. And it's one of the most magical, beautiful places. So if any place you had to be banished to, I mean, at least it's gorgeous. I mean, it's right? a really amazing, amazing. And the history of Father Damien et al. and all the folks yeah. involved. It's such an amazing history. If you ever get a chance to read about it or go visit, it's an amazing spot as well. Molokai is amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, you were in, you, I think you were doing regular medical practice for 20 years. Is that right? Yeah. What changed? So basically, you know, I did my standard Western medical training, got my medical doctorate degree 20 years ago, graduated top of my class, UC San Diego, went on to do my residency at UCLA, you know, worked in hospitals, clinics, ERs, mostly I'm a board certified ER doctor. And I did that for two decades. And, you know, when I started to see folks younger than I, coming in and sometimes even dying of heart attacks in their 30s, 40s. I just thought, what the heck is going on here? Something we are not doing right. So let me just preface this here in the US, we have amazing emergency medical care. Like if you are in a bad accident, bad traumatic scenario, or if you're in the throes of an acute heart attack and you need that vessel opened up, we have procedures for that. We do amazing at acute care medicine. Like we have phenomenal 
technology, techniques, but for chronic care, which is literally 90 plus percent of all medicine that occurs in this country and also expenditure, we do terrible at it. So right now, today in the US, our life expectancy is going down each and every year. And it has been even predating COVID by about two years. Obviously, COVID didn't help those that were more susceptible, the ones with comorbidities like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, et cetera, they didn't fare as well. So we had even more die. And then, you know, our life expectancy still continues to go down and something's got to give. Like we are just not doing a great job in Western medicine with chronic care, preventative care. In fact, hardly anybody is really doing much preventative anything in Western medicine. It's really sad because most people are starting to wake up to this. Seven out of 10 of these leading causes of death worldwide, things like heart disease, which is still the number one killer for both men and women, as well as things like diabetes, obesity, most cancer, lung disease, kidney disease. These things are all nearly entirely preventable, 90 plus percent preventable, and we're just not doing enough about it. So when I started to see this a couple of years back and I, it was becoming the norm, literally guys in 30s and 40s having heart attacks, I'm like, holy crap, this is just not right. And you were on Hawaii. We got to do more. Yeah. And out in Hawaii, even right. and we have a fairly healthy lifestyle in general. People are active. They're out surfing, fishing, you know, doing things every day outside. But we got the Western diet there too, right? The sad diet, the standard American diet is alive and well in Hawaii Ne as well as any place. And you can get processed foods everywhere you look, things that come in a bag box or with a barcode that are full of crappy ingredients. Are you talking so, about spams? Are you making fun of spam sushi? Uh, right spam, you know, gosh, my kids grew up with that. We don't really eat it anymore. But uh, yeah, the spam musubi, you know, which is the wrap with uh, seaweed, spam and rice. I mean, you know, my kids ate that when they were younger. We didn't know any better, right? <laughs> hey, you can have things. I mean, you gotta, yeah. everyone's gotta try it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, that's, what's so fun about food and culture. Try everything, but you know, the stuff that's not good for you, just don't eat it a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Try to eat the good stuff at least 80% of the time. And you'll be much better off than most of us who eat the not so great stuff. 80% of the time we have that uh, equation reversed. So yeah, when I started realizing this, that there's just so much of a need right now to not only prevent these just you know, horrific ailments that literally are killing us, that more can be done. And I have always been my health minded that way. I, as a kid, always wanted to help people stay healthy, be healthy. I mean, the first exposure I had to medicine was as like a three or four year old kid watching my grandfather poke his finger to check his blood sugar. My grandfather had type one diabetes and the dude lived till he was nearly 95 years old. And that's almost unheard of. Like he was on insulin for decades and decades and decades, and yet he lived a full life. He didn't lose any fingers or toes. He didn't lose his vision, never had kidney disease, didn't have to get on dialysis, like none of that. And he told me one day, hey, I do this because I want to see you grow up. I want to see you go to college. And the dude was at my college graduation. I mean, he sat right next to me. It was freaking epic. And, you know, I want that for everybody. I want them to be with their family the people they love, their pets, whoever it is, for as long as possible and as healthy as possible in the interim. And that just wasn't the route that standard Western medicine was going. And so I started to integrate more, I don't want to say non-conventional, but when I went to medical school, this was all called alternative medicine, right? right? I literally took a class in medical school. This was 25 years ago. It was entitled alternative medicine, you know, mm -hmm. and we learned about things like acupuncture and, you know, cupping and, you know, things that 
that just aren't taught in the standard circles and Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. We learned about this stuff and I thought, gosh, this is great stuff. Why not use everything? Mm -hmm. So now I I would describe myself as more of an integrative physician because I I use the whole shebang, the West, the East. You know, if I have to prescribe a medicine, I will. I try not to because I really feel like we use that as a crutch, right? The standard approach is a pill for every ill. And it's just, guess what? The outcome that we're getting from it is not good, as I explained, right? We're actually the most obese nation that we've ever been in the history of our country. We are more obese today than we've ever been. You know, 66% of people are overweight and it's just the numbers get worse and worse every year. Even worldwide, hunger is actually less of an issue now than obesity and the complications that result from it. The chronic diseases that come from being overweight actually outnumber in the world problems with hunger and starvation. It's it's crazy. Like the flip, the switch has been flipped. Right now we are starving in a sea of plenty. We are overfed. We are undernourished. And I'm sure you know this very well. And you speak to it all the time in your podcast. And so I decided, hey, I got to do more. And so that's when I decided to incorporate a lot more of these measures in my own work and with patients. And, and I've seen a lot of success from it. And it's been great because people are living better. They're living healthier, happier, longer and they're just freaking enjoying life. They're not tired and wired and achy and, you know, all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this brings up a question or a conversation that I didn't realize we'd have, but it's so timely. We're in a time, you had this revelation a few years earlier than this COVID era, but this COVID era has really exposed some wounds in healthcare and people yeah. are really interested in doing something different, but they don't know how to jump out or how to start. And I think you know, success leaves clues, right? Like everyone can start a different way. There's more than one path to do things. But how did you jump from conventional to integrative in healthcare? Because people get a little overwhelmed. They're like, how could I do, I have nurses ask me, how can I do continuing ed and integrative stuff? Or how do I do this? So tell me about some of the trainings you did. Did you, were you already in private practice? Were you working? I think you, what were you doing before and how did you make a shift? Yeah. So primarily before I was in hospitals and clinics and the ER, that was where I spent the majority of the first two decades of my physician experience. And then when I decided to go more integrative, I opened up my own practice, mostly virtual, actually, just because in Hawaii, you know, it's just, we're actually, we have a lot of doctors for our small population, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I just love to travel anyway. And so I opened up as a virtual work and it's been great. I do my consults online primarily. I do some work in person, believe it or not, in Florida. I have a clinic that I work at in Florida. That's an integrative clinic. And I still work in the ER as well, but I just do per diem shifts now, which keeps me relevant. It keeps me doing what I, I love to help people in the acute throes of injury or illness. You know, if you fall down and dislocate your shoulder, I love to put that back in for you. It's just, everybody's happy afterwards. But mm-hmm. what I really like to do is get people healthy so they don't have to face the issue of a heart attack in their 30s or 40s or 50s, or hopefully never have a heart attack. And so I converted into, you know, more of this integrative approach and with, you know, kind of hybrid where I still also do some hospital work, but that's less and less. And I focus mostly on the integrative approach. And so I did training with the Institute for Functional Medicine or IFM. And that's been really great because it's in alignment with kind of what I believe anyway, and sort of the prevention Mm -hmm. over prescription. And then, you know, I've just continued to work with people wherever they are. And like you said, the way that you do it is just one day at a time, you know, Mm -hmm. the silly, the thing that people share, how do you eat an elephant? Well, we're not eating them, but if we did, it'd be one bite at a time, right? I mean, it's just one day at a time, one step at a time, one course at a time, whatever that looks like for you, you know, there's no rush. I mean, continue doing what you're doing. If you want to you know, branch out and include more of an integrative approach. There's plenty of time for that. 
You know, I'm turning 50 and I'm just kind of newer to this road, but I feel like I got another 50 years in me. So I'm good. Yeah. Cool. And I, I usually recommend IFM stuff as well. It's like, I know it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's solid. It's, it's solid. You can go to in-person trainings. You can do some online. You're going to spend some money, but it's good stuff. So it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's get into there's, uh, currently is the book out, but you talk about these five principles. So I want to talk about these five principles, but tell me if the book is out and then let's talk about these five principles for like optimal health comes out in January, 2023. I figured that would be a great release date for, you know, people that really want to change their lives for the better and apply these five principles that you're alluding to that I speak about in depth in the book, but yeah, the book will be out January, 2023 preventable. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. So I know you've got these, these five principles, you use a mnemonic device and our, these principles are for avoiding, like you said, all of these common diseases that we could 90% prevent if we had the right thing. So this is a way to kind of encapsulate and to figure out like people will say frequently, I can't tell you how often I hear the word overwhelm. It's the most common uh, complaint from people. It's like, I'm overwhelmed because it feels like I could do all these things. And I look at that. You can flip that and say, like, there's an opportunity to do lots of things. But these principles can give you something to maybe hinge on to. So walk us through those. Yeah. So like you mentioned, anybody I think who's done any kind of professional school loves mnemonics. These are just memory devices to help us kind of keep things straight in our minds. But basically, the mnemonic for these five steps is F. MSGs, right? We all hate MSG anyway, FMSGs with an S on the end. So first one is food. So food is either the best possible medicine or it's a slow poison. And we can decide this multiple times each and every day. And in the book, gosh, I think I devote five or six chapters to food and diet and things. And what's cool about it is it actually is super, super simple. If you stick to one key thing that I'm going to share with you right now, everything else just kind of falls into place. So number one, just eat real food, right? Single ingredient food that doesn't really even need a label because, you know, if you buy a thing of broccoli, you know, that's broccoli. You don't need it to have a list of ingredients. It's just broccoli. And if it's organic broccoli, even better, right? I mean, we, we look to these things and so eat real food and then eat all kinds of variety of food. Like I'm the biggest proponent of just eating the whole rainbow And for me, I've always been described, even since I was a young kid, as a good eater. Like, I eat everything. I love to sample things. My favorite thing, Chris and I were talking about this offline, is to travel. And I love to sample the cuisine of every location I go to. It's just such a cool thing to do. And so eat real food, eat the variety, eat the whole rainbow, and just avoid three things. It's really the simple. If you can avoid three things and just eat real food, you're golden. So the three things are, number one, highly processed sugar right? Just sugar in general. Like we really shouldn't be eating much sugar. And if any, it should come in natural places like in fruit or in vegetables, for example. And of course, the highly processed crap, like high fructose corn syrup and all the varieties. I mean, you look at a label of anything and there's like 20 different ways to call sugar something that sounds better, right? Oh, it's cane sugar. Oh, this is brown rice syrup. Oh, you know, there's agave syrup, like whatever it is, like most of these things aren't any better than sugar, especially high fructose corn syrup. Avoid that crap like the plague. That may be single-handedly one of the worst things that has happened to society and is causing liver disease left and right. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. So that's the first thing, highly processed sugar. Second is highly processed grains. I mean, all of the glutens out there, all these crappy dwarf wheat that's out there that 90% of all of the things that we buy at the store that have any kind of grain in them are just crap. They're highly processed. Even the oats that we buy, highly processed, not good. We need to avoid most of this stuff. So the highly processed grains and flours, anything at the store that's literally white or brown, 
Try to avoid that stuff. You want the colorful stuff, right? And number three, avoid the seed oils at all costs. These are safflower oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil may be the biggest offender, right? Grapeseed oil, rice bran oil. These are the things that are everywhere. Canola oil. I don't even care if these oils are organic. Avoid them like the plague. And there's eight or nine of them. The easier way is just remember what are the good oils. And to remember the good ones, it's so simple. Just think in your mind, 2,000 years ago, how could they use these couple of fruits to make oil? So olive oil, for example, it's been around for millennia. How do you make it? You take an olive, you press it, you squeeze it. It's that simple. It doesn't need to go through a whole process of high pressure, high heat, deodorization, you know, bleaching. This is what all these other oils go through. Soybean oil, canola oil, you name it. They're just highly processed, super, super inflammatory. Avoid them like the plague. So olive oil is great. Avocado oil, same thing. It's a fatty fruit. You just press it, you get the oil. Or my favorite coming from Hafaiine is coconut oil, right? Same thing. It's a fatty fruit. You just uh, squeeze that thing and you make oil. So those are the three good oils I like to really focus on. There's a couple of others here and there that aren't too bad, palm oil, et cetera. But the seed oils, you got to avoid those things like the plague and they are everywhere. So it's that simple. Avoid the big three, eat real food, eat the whole rainbow, done. Food is checked off. (laughs) So the biggest complaint we hear about food with this, if we're having someone with a family is that my family or my kids are picky eaters. And what encouragement (laughs) do you want to give the listener who's experiencing that? Because you you said, I was always rewarded for being a good eater. Okay. (laughs) Must be nice, Thomas. (laughs) Yeah. I got six kids, guys. I get it. I'm a father of six. We've been through that and we didn't always eat really, really clean, really, really well. I mean, I'll be honest, my first pediatrician to my oldest now, he told us to buy freaking apple juice. Like, holy crap, my kids don't eat any juice ever again. Juice is one of the worst things, full of sugar. I don't drink any juice. My kids don't drink any juice, but we used to. So just have patience. When you change your diet, if you are eating it and they watch you eat it, they will want to eat it. Case in point. So I got a five-year-old and she loves avocados. And you know why she loves avocados? Because I buy them and I eat them. And she's like, hey, dad, what are you eating over there? I want to try that. It looks colorful. It's green. It looks kind of fun. Oh, and I could put the spoon right in the thing and just eat it right out like in my own little natural bowl. That is super cool. I want to try that. Guess what? She loves avocados, but who would have known? She might have said before, oh, I, I hate that. And one thing I don't let my kids do, and I know, you know, it's tough being a parent when our kids say, oh, I don't like that. And they've never tried it. BS. Like, we don't do that game. If you haven't tried it, doesn't work. You got to have them try things because sometimes they'll be surprised. They'll be like, oh, that actually tastes pretty good. And once you start a real foods diet, there is a little bit of a time and a learning curve and it doesn't happen from one day to the next. But the cool thing is over time, as you incorporate these in your own life, and this is what you buy, that's just what what's available. And guess what? A kid will eat when they're hungry, whether they think they like the food or not, they're going to eat it. But if you keep buying the quote unquote, you know, highly processed grains, flours, and sugars, like in the processed breads and the rolls and the crackers and the cold cereal and all these kinds of things that I also used to buy, they're going to eat that. But if you don't have that in the house, guess what? They're going to eat what's in the house. And this doesn't have to be a one day to the next transition, but it'll happen. Trust me, we went through it and I'm so grateful that we're on the other side of that right now. And it can be done even with young kids that say that I won't do that, I don't like that, or that are picky eaters, as Krista described. I get it. 
Was there, you talk about before and now, and was there a shift that you went on your own health journey a little bit somewhere in between this that allowed you? Because I think experience is our biggest yeah. educator often. And so you have to be applying. There's no way you can recommend things if you're not applying yeah. them yourself. It just doesn't really work. And that's how you get that personal experience is very valuable in trying to help someone else through something. So I, yeah, about a decade ago, I was tired of feeling, you know, sick and tired, as we often describe. Mm -hmm. I was about to turn 40. And I didn't think that I felt as good as I should. You know, I've always been super active. I've never, you know, had like health challenges, so to speak, other than I always liked junk food. I used to eat ice cream every single night, but I was super active. I moved my body one to two hours every single day. I love to surf. I love to bike. I was always so active that I never gained weight, but I started to not feel so good. My joints started to ache a lot. You know, I wasn't sleeping well. I had, you know, some vague you know, brain fog, if you want to call it that. I just wasn't as sharp and didn't feel as good as I thought that I should for, you know, the amount of activity I was doing and and, and such. So I decided, you know, I'm going to really kind of change it up a bit and I'm going to stop eating certain things, which is basically what I told you, those top three things. And so I, my wife and I actually went on this journey first. And when we saw how much it was benefiting us, we're like, okay, we got to get our kids converted too, right? And it's it's up to the parents. I mean, if you have kids that live under your same roof and you're the ones buying the food, like it's going to go downstream eventually. Yeah, they might rebel a little bit, which ours did, big surprise. But there's, you know, one step at a time, you know, you don't throw everything out the first night, you just kind of gradually work yourself into it. But for me, as I noticed when I was eating just real food and I dropped all the processed stuff, I stopped eating ice cream every night, I started to incorporate some other healthier habits with my sleep and so on. I was feeling so much better. I literally felt like I was 10 years younger. I'm like, gosh, I want this for my kids too. I want them to feel better. I don't want them to, you know, we had kids that had issues with constipation and one that was always having an upset stomach. And, you know, later we found out, well, dude, we were feeding this kid like dairy three times a day. No wonder, you know, <laughs> or he was having cold cereal twice a day or whatever, you know, just weren't eating the best things. And so as we did it, later they started to do it and it's been so much better. I can't even, even share how much better it's been. It's been awesome. So let's do what's next in the F. So MSG. yeah, F M S G. So so the second this is super brief, but movement, big surprise, right? We all know that we should incorporate movement, but one of my favorite hacks for this is we're all really busy. We don't have time for gym memberships. Many of us, I personally don't have a gym membership, but one of the things I do that I think most of us can do, especially those that are working from home or at an office or at a desk. I have incorporated the use of a standing desk. Right now, as we're talking, I'm standing, I can jump up and down, I can move my body while we're talking during, or usually if I'm working and I'm typing or I'm working on a project, every hour I take two to three minutes and I just move my body. So if I'm standing at my desk, I might drop down and do, you know, a couple of lunges, I might do a plank or two or three, you know, just simple body weight stuff. You can't see it behind me now, but on this door behind me, I hang a pull-up bar. And I do pull-ups. I don't know why. I've just always loved pull-ups. Like literally when I travel, I travel with one of these portable pull-up bars. And so it doesn't take a lot, like simple, easy movements that you can do, whether it be just doing a simple up and down air squat, you know, working your quads a little bit, walking in place like I'm doing while I work at my standing desk. And I don't even have a fancy standing desk. I literally have my computer on top of a Amazon box. Like it can be that easy. <laughs> it's not hard. So movement is the second one. And you do that in whatever way that you can incorporate it regularly, right? It doesn't have to be any certain thing. People ask me, what's the best kind of movement? Well, honestly, it's the one that you will do each and every day. So whatever that looks like for you, the easiest place to start is typically for people to just start taking a walk every day. And if you can walk after you eat even better, just take like a five, 10 minute walk after you eat, 
Your blood sugar won't spike as much. It's really great for digestion. It's really simple and easy. Unless, you know, it's sub-zero temperatures and you got to bundle up. So it's a little bit more complicated, but a simple walk is really nice or anything that incorporates some kind of muscle use, whether that be body weight stuff like I described or buy a couple of dumbbells, you know, I didn't appreciate this. I think I fell into the trap that most sort of fitness people have been taught for decades is that, you know, you got to do your cardio, you got to do your cardio. And I, I still think cardio is great, but I think we've neglected the resistance training piece. We've neglected actually building our muscle because did you know, if you do cardio every single day, you can actually overdo it and lose muscle mass. You will actually, your body will start to conserve its muscle mass and you will lose some and it'll try to use as little as possible. So cardio is great, but you got to mix it up. You got to do some kind of strength training. So I just do about half and half, about three days of each. And I mix it up and I don't have a specific schedule. I just kind of do what I'm feeling for the day, but you got to do some sort of weight training in there. And there's a great book out there called The Resistance Training Revolution by a buddy of mine, Sal Stefano. He's a great dude. And, and he really explains this really well, actually has a lot of good data. So that's the movement piece. Anything you want to add to that? I think this just reminds me of the time yeah. I had a continuous glucose monitor and I was in, yeah. I was in Sedona with friends eating like as much as I possibly could, but walking afterwards, <laughs> I was like, man, my blood sugar is perfect. Uh, which is like the kind of one of the most easy, we don't really use it too much, but it's a pretty simple biomarker that is mm -hmm. huge for our health. So, but the main thing would be just like strength is, is under credited sometimes. Yeah. Um, we're kind of coming into a new era, I think, where we're like, we're kind of like, okay, less hit more weight, but that's kind of yeah. the, the secret, especially with aging also, but you yeah. made it digestible, right? Like do yeah. something you enjoy. What I really heard from you is I enjoy what I'm doing. Okay. Well then uh. find something you enjoy. <laughs> Totally. I mean, you know, I surf, I ski, I snowboard, I hike, I bike. And actually in my forties, I'm turning 50 next year. I've really incorporated a lot of walking. I didn't know I loved walking so much. Mm. It's so beautiful. I walk out of wherever I am. I don't take my phone with me yeah. and I just go for a walk That's and key, I get right? some unplugged time. I get some deep breaths in nature. I get my natural sort of cues. I call it my vitamin M, N, and D. I'm moving. So vitamin M, N is vitamin nature. And then D, I'm hopefully getting a little sunlight at the same time. And those are my favorite three vitamins. I do that every day, M, N, and D. So the next thing after movement is the first S, which is sleep. And <laughs> I was the worst at sleep for decades, right? I mean, anybody who goes to medical school or professional school, they just don't prioritize sleep. I mean, they're not taught that typically. I certainly wasn't. And, you know, to my credit, in those days, we didn't know the true benefits of sleep. Dr. Jeffrey Illiff and Nattergaard out of the University of Rochester hadn't come up with this whole business of the glymphatic system, mm -hmm. which is sort of like the analogous sort of waste disposal system that exists in our brains, kind of like the lymph system in our body. That hadn't been discovered yet. That was like 10 years after I finished medical school that that got discovered. So we didn't know how amazing sleep was. And really, that's the only time your body really can clean out all the daily toxins that build up and sort of flush and refresh the system. It only really happens when we sleep. So number one, I just didn't know how important it was. I knew that if I didn't sleep, I felt kind of crappy, but I was like, ah, sleep is for the dead, right? I mean, the cure song, right? That whatever it was, 413 dream, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? Any cure fans out there? I mean, that was my approach until about a decade ago when my wife was like, dude, you are cranky. What is your problem? And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me, let me step back. And I realized, well, I was cranky because I was sleeping four or five hours a night. Like, duh, no wonder I was cranky. And so I started to 
literally put a reminder on my watch or my phone and say, Hey, this is bedtime. This is, you know, I've always been an early riser. So it's been hard. I've had to go to bed a little earlier too. And I've kind of been, you know, with kids, I think anybody out there knows with kids, it's a little rough because you want to get them to bed. So you have a little bit of time without the kids, right? I mean, you want to have some adult time, (laughs) you know, without the kids where you can chit chat, you're not interrupted and what have you. And so it was a learning curve and it didn't come on the first day, but I think if we can shoot for some number that works for us around seven or eight hours, most people can see significant benefits. And I guess what I didn't realize is that one of the most important things with sleep, besides just the routine and planning for it, is like what happens during the day. Did you know that if you get out for five minutes in the first part of the day and you see the light and the light hits the back of your eyes, it goes to the back of the retina and it activates this area of the brain and the hypothalamus and it says, hey, we're resetting the clock. That will actually help you to get a great night's sleep. So a great night's sleep starts early in the day. And then there's a bunch of other nuance. You want to have a cold room. It's got to be quiet. You know, if you need earplugs, blackout curtains, whatever, AC to keep it cool. You know, I just call it the cave, have it a sleep cave. And then, you know, your bedtime ritual is super important. I think most of us with kids know that rituals are important for adults. Rituals are important too. So I go through that in the book, but sleep is so critical and actually it's great for weight loss. And I think you had a podcast on this not long ago where somebody was like, I lost 15 pounds just when I started sleeping better. It's true. Your hormones will be way out of whack if you don't sleep well. One of the quickest ways to get them in shape is having a good night's sleep. And sleep is something that plagues so many people. And gosh, there's just a lot of things. What would you do? You have anything to say to people who I always suggest starting with all those foundations first? And I just want to mention something fun or side note. Most people have heard of white noise. There's yeah. something called brown noise. You can find like long podcasts or different things, and it is surprisingly different. Just want to share that because sometimes I think people have. I actually I have to use it when I travel to cities because okay. I'm, I live in the middle of nowhere, so I'm not around people. And so if things are really noisy, it's like, if there's an ambulance going down on the road in the middle of the night, not, it does not work for me. I do not have that at home. It's really irritating. So I need to use not just noise. Like I, the white noise is fine, but the brown noise actually sounds better when I'm traveling. So I just throwing that in there for fun. Cool. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, anything that works for you. And I think now we have so many gadgets, right? You can get your aura ring, you can get your whoop or your Apple watch, all these ways that are measuring our sleep. I think that's kind of fun to do. It's not essential. I think most of us know when we've got a good night's sleep or not because we wake up feeling amazing or not so amazing. So we, you don't have to go invest in one of these things. If you happen to have one, yeah, definitely use it, but don't get so wrapped up in like, sometimes we get too hyper about, oh, if my number's not above 90, ah, you know, it causes more stress, right? The object is to have less stress, like the name of the podcast, right? We're not trying to overstress ourselves because we're fixated on a number, but these strategies are so helpful. And number one, you just have to make it a priority. So prioritizing sleep is super important. Lots of good stuff in the book. And then the next one is uh, MSG. So this is probably the biggest, and we won't touch on this a lot right now because it's such a huge topic, but is optimizing your gut, your gut health, right? Most of us know that the majority of our serotonin in our body is produced in the gut, but what many of us don't know, gut does so many other things. Like literally the majority of our immune system is right in the gut. So if we have issues with autoimmune conditions, Hashimoto's, other concerns, or We just have a bunch of food allergies. Like most of this can actually be routed back to the health of our gut. So as we increase the health of our gut, and it matters because these guys that live there, right? The bacteria, viruses, fungi, protozoa, all the different microorganisms that are there, they at least have a similar number, you know, 30 trillion or whatever, like human cells. They're they're about the same in number. We used to think they way outnumbered us. Now we know it's roughly the same as the number of human cells, but they do outnumber us with respect to the amount 
of DNA or genetic material. So there's way more of that. And at the end of the day, it's the DNA that drives the messenger RNA, that drives the proteins that are made. And so that actually really matters. So we're actually at least as much them as we are us, maybe even more them than us. So we should pay attention. And when we do, oh my gosh, it's a game changer, both for autoimmune conditions, for just overall, you know, gut health, where we just can eat things and we don't feel crappy afterwards. You know, we feel good. We can digest things properly, assimilate them because we are, like my grandmother said, and I think Crystal will agree, we are literally made from what we eat. We are what we eat and what we have eaten also had eaten previously, right? So the quality matters, right? If you eat whole foods, real foods, it's important, but it's even more important too that they, whether they be plant, vegetable, animal, whatever, fish, doesn't matter, they should be raised in the best case scenario, right? If we're feeding our livestock Skittles, I mean, duh, it's not going to be as good as if they're allowed to do what they've done for millennia is graze in the field and eat grass. That's what they're supposed to eat. So you are what you eat. And the gut is a big proponent of how that plays out. And what most people don't know is that their cravings largely come from the gut. So if you crave, like I did for decades, ice cream, guess what that was a signal of? My gut wasn't healthy because there are bacteria there that want you to eat ice cream or Oreos or crackers and chips, Doritos, whatever. They want you to eat that because that's what causes them to survive. So if you feel like you're being weak and you don't have willpower, BS, there's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. Maybe your gut health could use a little bit of repair. Maybe your metabolism could use a little bit of repair, but you are not broken as an individual. These cravings are not yours. They're largely coming from the gut. So you get the gut healthy and guess what? You don't crave that stuff anymore. You actually want to eat your vegetables. It's amazing. Even my kids, like now that their gut's healthy, they actually want vegetables. My daughter, who is a type one diabetic, and we just discovered this in this crazy story, but she actually loves her vegetables and it's making it so much easier. Anyway, happy gut, happy life. There's just too much that we could speak of, but you can get it in the book or or on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you are what you eat and what you digest, right? Yeah. So if things are imbalanced in the gut, you won't digest mm-hmm. as well. And what you eat will predict what's going on in the gut, right? So that was like a two-way street. Yep. The last one, there's one more. The second S is the S of your podcast is stress. So we all have stress. If we can optimize it, we will be golden. So especially these last couple of years of pandemic, I feel like our stress is through the roof. The study that really that really kind of brought this to light, especially in my mind, was a 2012 study in the Journal of Psychology. And it was 190,000 participants, like a giant, giant study. What was super interesting about this study is not that they classified people as low, medium, or high stress, but it's what came after that. So here's the clincher. So we might guess that people who were in that highest stress level, we might guess that they were the ones that had negative health consequences. That's what one would guess, right? More stress, they would be less healthy because stress is bad, right? Well, usually stress is bad. That's correct. But what was interesting about this study is that when they looked at that group that had the highest level of stress, that there was only a subset of them that actually suffered the negative health consequences. And that literally had a higher mortality rate. It was only the subset that believed, they believed that the stress was bad for them. Mm. Those that had high stress and they didn't believe it was harmful. They didn't believe that it was bad and unhealthy. And maybe they used it as the impetus for change or pivoting, like during the pandemic or, you know, a challenge, like who likes a good challenge, right? Any athlete out there loves a good challenge. You don't want to play an opponent that's way worse than you because it's just no fun, right? You want a challenge. So those that viewed stress as a challenge, though they had the highest level, it was not only 
not negative, but it was actually the opposite. They actually lived longer and had less health problems despite having more stress. So the biggest difference was right here, what we can control, what's between our ears, so to speak. And this was literally revelational back in 2012. And I think it really applies to today because there's just way too much stress out there. Yes, there's optimization techniques, there's breathing. I mean, I love to talk about breathing techniques and all sorts of you know mental things that we can do, whether it be meditative or just simple mindfulness. Or my favorite is just going out and getting some exercise and just really changing our physiology. The quickest way I know to do that is with either breathing or exercise. And sometimes you can do both at the same time, right? You deep breathe usually when you exercise. So optimizing stress is so critical. So that's the final S in the FMSG's mnemonic. We got there. Mm -hmm, We sure did. And speaking of stress, how is your daughter with her newly diagnosed type one diabetes? Or how are you handling it? Yeah, thankfully, you know, she's doing pretty well. I mean, it was a shocker, right? This is one of those things that can't really be predicted. My grandfather did have it. So there is some kind of a genetic propensity, but surprisingly, she's doing quite well. Her insulin requirements are getting less and less. But a lot of it is because the cool thing is we already were pretty, you know, good with her diet. And so it wasn't too hard to even tweak it a little bit more. You know, we we do a fairly low carb diet for her. The carbs usually just come in some version of vegetables or fruit. We do almost no processed foods at all. And when we do, we do gluten-free and good ingredients and that kind of stuff. But it's actually helped a lot. Like she's been quite good. And, and actually it's been kind of fun because we're allowing her to sample foods that she's never really eaten before that that are lower carb and that are natural foods. And she's liked them. It's been really cool. Like it's actually, it's been tough. And I'll be honest, she doesn't have a CGM yet. She doesn't have a pump. Like this is pretty early on. She's just Mm -hmm. a few weeks in. So we have to poke her six to eight times a day. She gets her insulin. She gets her blood sugar checked anytime she wants to eat. So it's tough that way. I think it may be a little easier once we get plugged into the whole CGM and, and insulin pump thing, but you know, it's going surprisingly well. And I think the reason for that is that she was already used to a, basically a whole foods diet. So we haven't had to change a lot. We've definitely tweaked it some, and there's definitely less of the, uh, you know, sweets. I mean, we didn't do a lot of sweets before, but we're definitely even more mindful of that now, but it's, it's going okay. I mean, surprisingly knock on wood, you know, she's actually tolerating it pretty well and, and she's, she's she's really turned the corner. Yeah. She's seven. She's seven. Yeah. So she's getting it now. I mean, at first it was super rough because, you know, she'd ask me, am I going to, you know, still have this next year on my birthday? And I was like, oh oh my gosh, those are conversations that are hard, you know, but uh, yeah, (laughs) I think she was blessed, uh, you know, yeah, have us and just be in a place where we already were pretty naturally minded eating whole foods and whatnot. So it's, it's actually been okay. You know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you know, I mean, you just got to roll with it, right? You just got to roll with the punches and keep on going forward. <laughs> yeah, right. So much to yeah. say there. Thomas, where can people find you online? Yeah, so easiest place. I'm fairly active on Instagram. It's just Dr. Thomas Hemingway these days, Dr. Thomas Hemingway. My website is thomashemingway.com. And I spell it just like Ernest did with one M. So dot com. My podcast is The Unshakable Health Podcast. And if you want to check out the book, it's thepreventablebook.com. So thanks so much for having me, Chris. It's been quite a pleasure. I've really appreciated this. Thanks so much for coming on. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's 
reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.